Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hey there, ladies and gents. Frank Flegg here, your host for this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investment podcast. So I often talk about strategy. I talk about direction. I talk about market trends. I talk about how you should be planning your sophisticated property investing journey, how you should be building your portfolio, how you can help with your mindset, how you can negotiate, how you can finance, how you can build your portfolio. However, it has been a little while since I have done an episode on tactics. And so in this episode, I'm going to be showing you, talking you through using real examples, how you can buy properties in the current climate, which is an amazing time to buy. I've talked about this for months and months now. It's an amazing time to buy at the moment. It's an amazing time to own property at the moment, other than if you have it on conventional mortgages. Because if you have property on conventional mortgages, then your interest rates are probably rising at the moment, especially if you've built a portfolio over a long time. You probably don't have the entire portfolio on fixed rate. You probably have some on variable rate. At least you should do (laughs) if you're following my advice and diversifying your risk. And so your cost of borrowing has probably gone up quite significantly. Other than that, capital values are going up, rents are going up, and prices that you can buy from distressed vendors are going down because there are fewer purchasers in the marketplace. So it is a fantastic time to be getting into property or to be building your portfolio, so long as you can finance it. Therein lies the secret to building your portfolio now. And if I'm honest, and this is the main reason I didn't buy as many properties in the last recession as I could have done if I had my the, the knowledge that I have now, is because I didn't have the strategies. In fact, there's one property that haunts me. It's like the one that got away. It is a beautiful property, big six bedroom property in an area of Nottingham called The Park. Oh my goodness. It was an absolute steal. At the time, I could pick it up for around 400k and it was worth at least 650. And I just wasn't in a position to finance it. It was laid on a silver platter for me. And that property now, it's at least doubled. This was in 2000 nine, I think. So it's doubled in value at least possibly more in the last 14 years. That single property would have made me at least 750k because it's now worth possibly 1.3, 1.4. And I could have picked it up for a lot less than that. So in this recession, in this amazing market for buying, how can you buy properties like that one, even if you can't get mortgages, even if you don't want to expose yourself to high interest rates. Well, the answer to that is using other people's money. And in this episode, I'm going to run you through some of the tactics that I am using right now to do exactly that. So let's start with probably the closest to a traditional way of investing. So a traditional way of investing is you have a chunk of money, your own money, that you put into a deposit and you borrow the balance from a mortgage lender. That's the conventional way of buying property. You might buy it cash, all your own money, but more often than not, 
the majority of purchases are chunk of deposit funds and then a majority of the purchase price made up by a mortgage. So if you don't want to do that, the closest way of buying a property from a vendor's perspective. So you have to remember that a seller of a property is expecting you to buy the property from them swiftly from offer to completion two to three months. That's what they're kind of expecting. They'll be okay with four or five months often. They'll be amazed if you do it in 30 days. But that's what they're expecting. They're expecting you to buy it fairly swiftly and they're expecting you to pay the entire asking price or the entire accepted purchase price in one go on the day of completion. That's what they're expecting. So the simplest way of investing in property is to give them what they're expecting. And that is all of the money on the day of completion relatively soon after the offer is accepted. So if you're not going to use any of your own money, how are you going to do that? Well, the simplest way is to go to a finance investor. So this is someone who has money, but for whatever reason, doesn't want to invest in property. They have it liquid. In the bank at the moment, they're probably earning 1% interest on their money, maybe 2%. But inflation is 10, 11, 12% at the moment, soon to drop quite drastically. So what you can do, and I've done this on many, many properties, is you can borrow those funds from an investor. You can give them a first charge on the property if, they, if you offer it to them. Perhaps they'll demand it. And you just explain to them, you're going to be the same as the bank. But instead of me paying interest to the bank, and the way I explain it to um, finance investors is I say, look, you've got your, let's say it's 200 grand. You've got your 200 grand in NatWest and they're paying you 2% on your money or 1% or whatever they're getting. I'm going to borrow your 200 grand from NatWest, but they're going to charge me 5 or 6%. So what I can do is I can just pay you 5 or 6% and I'll give you the first charge on the property and it's just the same, except now you're making the 4% difference instead of them. That is a very, very attractive proposition to finance investors. And remember, there are a lot of people with a lot of money after COVID. There is a lot of cash sloshing around in people's bank accounts from them having been furloughed but not being able to go on holiday, from them not traveling as much and working from home loads and loads. They've saved on a lot of their uh, travel expenses. There's a lot of people who had companies who took bounce back loans. Uh, I was talking to an investor recently, actually. They've got half a million pounds in a Seabills loan that sat in their company bank account that they took at the time in case they needed it, but they've actually done nothing with it. So they're repaying that loan now, but haven't actually used that money. So in real terms, that money's shrinking. It's cost them money so far unless they invest it. So their business could lend that money to me and I could go buy properties with it. So a finance investor lending you 100% of the purchase price is a really simple way of doing it. Now you can get a step more sophisticated and you can borrow that money from a finance investor and combine it with money borrowed from elsewhere. Moving away from that, you've got vendor finance. So vendor finance can take a few different forms. I'll give you a few different scenarios here. And by the way, these are all strategies that I've used on properties or multiple properties, actually. Let's use a real example, £250,000 for a semi-detached property, quite large, um, old coach house property, really nice characterful semi-detached property. They wanted quarter of a million for it, 250,000 pounds. 
I offered them vendor finance on that for 15 years. And in effect, what happens is they lend you £250,000 on paper, not in real life. They do a loan document that says that they've lent you £250,000 and then you pay them £250,000, which is just another bit of paper to say, I've now paid you £250,000. They give you the keys and title moves over to you. So you now own the property. You pay stamp duty on the 250k purchase. Uh, you're now the legal owner, but they took, in this example, first charge of the property. So that is a really simple example of vendor finance. Now, the fi- the loan agreement is the key part of this. You can do that interest free. You can do it interest bearing. So. In that particular example, I think, uh, this is going from memory, I think I paid 3.25% per annum fixed for 15 years. Now, at the time, interest rates were up around uh, 5%. 3.25% was a pretty good rate. It made me money every month at 3.25%. Um, interest rates have since dropped quite significantly. And so for a while, long while, it looked quite expensive, but now it's looking really cheap again. So, you know, there's swings and roundabouts, but a 15 year fixed rate mortgage in effect is really, really good. It's reliable for me. You know, it's, it's reliable. I know I'm going to make profit for 15 years because of course the rents go up and up. It's the mortgage payment every month that stays the same. So that is how a simple vendor finance mortgage works. At the end of the 15 years, I would owe the £250,000. And at that point, of course, you hope to have seen significant capital growth and to at that point be in a position to either sell. So let's say it's gone up in 15 years to £600,000. There's no guarantee, but let's just say it has. So there's £350,000 equity in it. At that point, you can refinance and just get a a mortgage for the 250k. Now, because you've owned it for 15 years, the mortgage company is going to be more than happy to just refinance it. They're not going to be fussed about how you bought it, etc. The six-month ownership rule where they're very interested in how you've bought a property and financed it is all you know, it's a distant memory. So they'll just look at it and go, well, you own this property. There's an outstanding loan of £250,000 and you want to raise £250,000 and it's worth 600. Yep, no problem at all. Here's your mortgage. So you can just refinance it out and you've now got, in that instance, 400k equity, having never used any of your own funds. Or you can sell the property, sell it for 600. The vendor gets their 250 and you walk away with uh, your 350 thousand pounds. I might have said 400 a minute ago. That's my mental maths failing me. (laughs) So that's how a simple vendor finance agreement works. That was with interest. More often than not, I will do it interest free. And I won't say this is an interest free loan. I'll just say, right, I'll give you 250 and I'll pay you at a rate of a thousand pounds a month for 250 months, for example. Or I'll say I'll pay you 500 pounds a month for 10 years, 120 months, so that'd be 60,000 pounds. And then I'll give you the balance, which would be 190,000 pounds, for example. So more often than not, I'll do this interest free or non-interest bearing because it's far, far more lucrative for me. But it it doesn't really matter because if it's a cash flow positive property and it's over a long enough term and it's no money down, who cares? That's an infinite return on investment and you're owning the asset. The vendor actually said, I want you to put some skin in the game. I want you to put 15,000 pounds down, which on a 
loan of £235,000 was well worth doing. So myself and a JV partner, we put in fifteen, and the vendor lent two hundred and thirty-five. So that's not a no money down deal, but it's a no money left in deal after we've been paid that £15,000. So it didn't take long. I think I put five in and my JV partner put 10. So we have long since had that 15K back out. So it's no money left in. So, and, and this is the thing. Do you walk away from the deal? Because no, I'm not going to put five grand into it. Or do you look at it pragmatically and go, well, it's five grand to get quarter of a million pounds of property. It makes X amount a month for me. Uh, it's going to grow by a significant amount over the next 15 years, yes, I am happy to crack on and leave some money in this deal temporarily. So you can do lots of things. You can have it non-interest bearing. You can have it interest bearing. You can have it 100% of purchase price. You can have it as a percentage of purchase price. There's lots of opportunities. You can, of course, combine strategy one with strategy two. So you can take money from a finance investor and give it to the vendor as a deposit. And then you can borrow the balance from the vendor. So the vendor said, oh, I really need in that example, I really need 50,000 pounds, or I really need 100,000 pounds, then you could take that 50 or 100 from a finance investor, give it to the vendor, the seller, and borrow the rest off the seller. And if you do it all at, let's use the same number, 3.25%, if you do it all at 3.25%, it makes no odds to you. You still just borrowed £250,000. You just got two lenders instead of one. The concept of giving charges is very important. You always want to take money from investors. You want to borrow money from investors on an unsecured basis, if possible, because the vendor is highly likely to want a charge, first charge. If you've set a finance investor up to lend you money but only on the basis of a first charge, then you're going to have an issue because you can't have two first charges on a property. What you could do is you could buy the property into a company and you could give a debenture on the company. That's a kind of a charge on a company. So that's one way you can give them some security, but you can't have two first charges on a property. What you would need to do is give one of them the first charge and one of them the second charge. And this brings us into an educational concept of the complexity conundrum. So if you say to an investor, would you like a charge on the property or would you prefer not to have a charge? Every investor in the world will say, oh, I'd prefer to have a charge, please, if they're sensible. Once you start talking about debentures and you start talking about first charge and second charge, it can get so complicated for a non-sophisticated investor who, by the way, is only getting... 5%, 6% on the money, depending on what you offer them, 3.25% on the money in this example. If it gets too complicated, they're just going to do it. They're just going to walk away from it. The person who's got the money in their business bank account from the C-bills loan, if it gets too complicated for them, then they're not going to bother doing it because they've got their main business. They don't want to risk losing this. They don't want to have to go to a lawyer and get advice, etc. They just want it really, really simple. And so... It's important to remember that you're giving a service to the investor. You're giving them a really good return on their money reliably over a long period of time. I, I will generally do my loans in three years or four years or five years terms, or I'll do them as a rolling loan. But what I will do is I will give them so they can give notice at any time, but the notice period is 12 months. 
So I know that I'm always going to get a year's notice, which in property, you kind of need that much notice. You don't have to have that much notice, but you wouldn't want loads of loans where everyone can give you one month's notice to get their money back. Because if interest rates go up to 10% and you're only paying 3.25, then most investors are going to ask for their money back and they're going to put it in the bank at 10% if they can get 10%. That would be a problem for you if you had 20 loans and each loan was £200,000. You know, you've got £4 million there you have to find in the next 30 days. If all of that is tied up in property, even if there's loads of equity in those properties, liquidating that quickly enough is going to be really hard. Whereas if I've got 12 months notice and some investors serve me the 12 months, I can then decide, do I want to replace their funds with another investor? Do I want to go on to conventional finance earlier than planned? Do I want to sell the property? I've got loads of options. And if you've got options and time, you're going to be able to maximize your returns. You're not going to have to sell at fire sale prices. And that's the risk. The risk is you have to sell in a hurry or refinance in a hurry. I've had to take loans in the past at probably two or three percent higher than I would have liked just because I wanted to honor a investor's investment terms. So they'd give me notice. If I'd had an extra two or three months, I could have got a much better loan or um, could have sold at a much better price. But in order to give the money back on time, I've had to go for a higher interest rate just to get the loan through quickly with a less than ideal lender. And so by giving yourself lots of notice, that really helps you. By negotiating for the funds to be unsecured, you can still give a personal guarantee. So they still know that you've got to go bankrupt before they lose their money, which obviously if you've got properties and you've got equity behind you, then that's going to give them lots of reassurance. But now they just pay the money to you and you are able to split that between investments, you're able to put it all into one investment, take it back out. It's kind of a lot more useful money than money where it has to be on a first charge. So that's the main benefit of taking unsecured funds. The other benefit is you can buy a property cash with unsecured funds, refinance that property, and then go buy another property with the unsecured funds. So they become your you know, your pot to go to auctions with or to buy quickly below market value from investors, then you have the luxury of time to refinance and then you can buy quickly from someone else. So you've always got this liquid cash of unsecured investor funds. So really, really um, beneficial. So yeah, you have to be FCA uh, regulated in order to not fall foul of the uh, FCA rules. If your marketing you know, products. You see it on Facebook all the time. I'm offering this much money on this deal. Who wants to put 100 grand into this deal so I can buy this property? I think those adverts fall foul of the FCA um, rules. So what I do is um, when people ask me what I do, I ask them questions about themselves. I ask them whether they've invested before, what their interest is in investing, and they'll often open up. They'll often open up about how much money they've got, what they're looking to do. And what I do is I don't offer them investments. I tell them how I've helped people in the past. And I say, yeah, well, in the past, I've done this for this, you know, people in your situation. I've done this for them and I've done this for them. And if they then start to ask lots of questions about you, how you've 
worked with joint venture partners in the past and notice I'm using the language of joint ventures, then you can assess their, and this is the key thing, you can assess whether they're a sophisticated investor or a novice investor. Best to take advice on this. Don't, uh, I'm not giving advice. I'm just explaining how it works in my case. If you have assessed them to be a sophisticated investor and if they are asking to joint venture with you, then you can start to talk about how a joint venture might work where they lend money to you and you go and buy a property and you pay them a share of those profits or a an interest payment on those funds that they've lent to you. We've gone through a few here, guys. We've gone through finance investors lending money. We've gone through using conventional money. So high street lenders, bridging providers. We've also talked about using vendors money, even though they might not have any money, but them lending you the purchase price, which is the one that normally gets people's brains in a bit of a, a pickle, but they don't need any money. They just basically lend you the equity in the property and you agree to pay it back in the future. And then you move from that into the realm of not buying the properties now. And I'm, I'm not going to spend loads of time on this in this episode, but if you'd like me to do a specific episode on no money down control of properties, so we call it control now, pay later strategies. The key to those is you take control of the property as the name suggests. So you get the keys, you take control of letting the property, you receive the rent for the property or the income depending on the property. You are responsible for maintenance and you either pay the vendor a lump sum at a predetermined point in the future. So that could be two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years or you pay them a monthly amount with no balloon at the end, or sometimes a combination of the two, a monthly amount with a lump sum in the future. The paperwork that you use to achieve that agreement is varied, and I'll, I'll just name them now, but if you'd like me to do this on a future episode, I'll happily do that, just let us know. You can use what's called an option agreement, you can do an exchange with a delayed completion where you exchange contracts now and complete in 10, 15 years time. You can have a management agreement that sits alongside an option. So there's lots and lots of different ways of achieving the control now, pay later strategy. But in this episode, hopefully I've raised your awareness, reminded you if you have experienced this before. And if you've done this before, hopefully encouraged you and motivated you to do more no money down investing or investing using other people's money. Because the key to this is being able to do a deal today that if the same deal turned up tomorrow, you could do it tomorrow. And if a, an equivalent deal turned up the day after, you could do that one. The key is being able to do an infinite number of deals. If you put 50 grand into a property that you're buying today, you may or may not be able to buy a deal tomorrow that requires another 50K. And if you do both of those, you may or may not have enough money to do a deal on day three that requires another 50K. And at some point, you're going to run out of money. Unless you have a job that's paying you 50K a day, you're going to run out of money and going to have to stop investing and wait. The principle behind no money down investing, no money left in investing, as I talked about earlier, or using other people's money is you can do an infinite number of deals. And now the compound growth of your portfolio gets really sexy, really exciting. And that is, I think, the key to building a safe, 
cash flow positive, large, profitable property portfolio. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope I've helped you in this episode. I hope that's given you some food for thought and some strategies to go out there and buy in this amazing time where you really can fill your boots. And I'm certainly uh, in the process of doing that right now. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.